Let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you for our BFG time, our Bible fellowship time, Lord. This is a time where uh, we normally are in our classrooms studying together and in small groups, Lord. But today we're here to be reminded of the goodness of God and that you're still saving people. You, you know missions, Lord, way more than we do. You, in fact, you are the author of missions. And you have been gathering people from every tribe and tongue and language for so long. And we thank you that you chose to work in the Philippines, particularly on Mindanao, particularly using your servant Nilo uh, so many years ago. So what a blessing to spend some time and to hear what you have done and to praise you and boast in you, Lord, today. So we ask that you would be glorified in all that we say and do here today. Thank you for each and every one that's here, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just start with a meal. A meal. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard a meal preach. Um, it was great to have you preach a meal. We've, we've done some ministry together down there too. I think last time I was down there, we, we did a Q&A together. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and Emil is uh, an excellent preacher, handles the word uh, greatly. He is a director over much of the ministry. He oversees a lot of uh, the ministries like, help me with this. Uh, put your mic up. You got to put it. Uh, mobile school and the seminary and then the church planters, the missionary. Yeah, so, um, and we'll hear more about that as we go on. Um, but Emil, I think we have a picture of your family. Can you tell us who these people are? Uh, yeah, that's, that's my wife, Sarah. And then from my left, that's uh, Faith. And then that's Grace. Pray for her. <laughs> And then uh, Joy and Hope. That's our daughters, yeah. They're triplets, uh, Grace, Joy, and Hope. So Sarah wanted to have one more, and she got three. Um, the prophecy says, Sarah, bear a son, no more, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Grace, we're hoping to have a doctor's appointment here yeah, soon. Yeah. You'll keep us up That's to date the, yeah. on her, so... Um, and so pray for Grace. She, she doesn't speak or walk at this point. Um, and uh, so they're trying to help her a little bit. It's a little more difficult down there than here. So um, uh, we, we know that you're looking forward to getting home to see, yeah. to see Sarah and the girls. So um, Pastor Nilo, when did this all start? Let's, let's talk about Sola Gracia. There's a, there's a beautiful woman up there. You remember her? You've yeah. been gone from home for so long. <laughs> How many years married to her? Uh, we actually celebrated our 40th anniversary, September 25. Nice. Yeah. So Amen. I have a lot of paying back when I go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've been gone for a while. Um, Let's, let's talk about the ministry here. Um, when did this all start, Nilo? I know it started with pre- part, of your, part of your preaching gets you kicked out of a certain mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us about the start. How did, how did God start Sola Gratia ministry? So how did that get going? Uh, I used to be a missionary of the Philippine Missionary Fellowship for 18 years, being their director for 12 years. But when I started to teach the doctrine of election, they kicked me out. So I brought back my family to the island of Bindanao where I grew up. And uh, the Lord provided us a place in Cagayan de Oro. After a month of fellowshipping with other churches and uh, seeing that the Word of God is not really preached, so I... I told my wife that uh, even if it's only her and our children, we will start our own worship in the house. Mm-hmm. So seven, seven people, the first Sunday of May 2002, were in our house. But the Lord started to bring in more people. And by the time we are three months old, we have already outgrown our living room. Now, hold on a second. I want to go back because you said something that I think people need to understand. Uh-huh. Um, you got kicked out of a mission, not just teaching doctrines of grace, but mm. teaching the Bible. They, the, I mean, we have to define Christianity here. Mm. Um, I'm sure you have to define it there as well. 
Um, so why would they, you said they don't want to teach the whole Bible. They, don't want, to, they don't want from the Bible. So can you explain just that a little bit? Because we need to know that you're not just some separatist that wanted to run off. Um, uh, they, they, I think it'll help them understand what the religious climate is like, particularly in Mindanao. Well, actually, it is uh, true everywhere. We want a God that do not mind what kind of lifestyle we have. We want, uh, we want to serve a God that uh, will tolerate our sinfulness. But then when God will begin to require or demand from us holiness because He is a holy God, then we shy away. Mm. We hate to hear that. And that's exactly what happened. You teach the pure word of God, people begin to gnash their teeth against you. So. Yeah, yeah, same, same here as well. Mm-hmm. Around the world, I think that's, yep. that's true. Okay, so you start your church in your house with your children and maybe a few other people, seven people you said? Yeah, uh, and then after three months, we have to move to our garage, and uh, there was no roof in the garage, but... Uh, God's providence, a brother sent uh, some gift that enables us to put a, a roof in the garage, and the garage can uh, hold like 40 adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we outgrow that, and we, have, uh, we look for a regular place to... So let's see if uh, we can see work. the scene outside your house. I've been to that house in Cayenne Dior there, mm-hmm. your garage there. So you have those white plastic chairs all set up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're preaching away, so it's open air. Everybody can hear. Do, do what the neighbors think. Tell us about the neighbors as you start in this uh, Muslim neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, yeah. lots of different people here. Yeah. Um, I started meeting with five men every Saturday. And then the five men grow to become 34 men mm. who actually stayed with us literally for three months. Intensive teaching and training uh, the men. And every Sunday when I preach, our neighbors, including the Muslim neighbor, I did not know it, um, but they will sit down in their porch and listen to me preach. So when they, when they uh, uh, observe that there are many people in the house, the Muslim brother approached me and he said, what are these people doing in your house? There's so many of them. And I noticed that uh, they are there for more, almost a month now. I said, well, we are doing teaching. Maybe you can see us here. And he said, oh, how did they sleep? I have my second floor in the house. Uh, I will let you use it. <laughs> and uh, so he gave me the key and he said, they can come in anytime. And we paid nothing. Wow. So he offered it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Did the men stay there? Oh, yeah. Did, didn't you have them sleeping up in your rafters? You put some boards up there at yeah. one time. Yeah. And Faye was feeding all these men. How did you do that? Yeah, they are like sardines. <laughs> uh, with regards to uh, the food, my wife is kind of nervous every time we are running out of rice. But I always reminded her, George Mueller has 2,500 orphans. And he just hold on to this promise. Open your mouth wide and I will feel it. And we only have 34. So we have never missed a meal. God miraculously provided. So the start of this birth of this ministry starts in your house. Mm. God gives you five, five men to begin with. And you faithfully trade those five. They turned into 34. Yeah. Okay, so now we have some. There's, there's a birth of a ministry happening here. Take us, take us to the next. What, what yeah. happens next from there? Yeah, from the 34 men, uh, some of them have their own business, give up their business, give up their job. They started planting churches. And what they have learned from us, they started also sharing with the other uh, pastors where they, where they went and soon we have invitations uh, if we can come and teach them. We told them if there are 
12 or 10 of you, then we can, we'll come. And that's how our mobile school started. Mm. Now, from those men trained in the house, since 2003 up to this time, we have trained more than 700 men already all over the Philippines. Mm. Yeah. That's the mobile school. So when we think about the mobile school, for us to think that, um, that in America, that's a little hard to think of. But this is um, men now like Emil, uh, other men that you've trained. This didn't happen overnight. You trained these men for some time mm -hmm. to help them understand a good hermeneutic, how to handle the word rightly, how to preach the full counsel, and then you would send them out. But that means maybe a couple of men on a motorcycle or maybe a van, and they would go to somewhere around the Philippines and plant churches and then gather these men together and teach them for a full week. Is that correct? Yep. And, and what would they do? How would, what, what was their curriculum, and what, how did they, how they reach these guys? Uh, we have designed a curriculum uh, for the fundamental doctrines, uh, that will require a total of eight weeks. But then we can only be in one place for a week. Right. And then we move to another place, and then we come back the next month to build up on what we have started right. in the, the previous uh, uh, month. So uh, it is a mobile school. Yeah. Instead of bringing people to one place and... Uh, uh, train them, we go where they are, yeah. and that's how we, we train the men. So, so over time, mm. you're not there constantly, over time they are learning these doctrines, and I'm sure they have things to read and study in between, mm -hmm. is that correct? And, yeah. And so you actually give them a degree. Yeah, if they can pe finish a total of uh, um, they can finish our basic uh, doctrinal teaching. We require them to write their own personal statement of faith. Mm. And uh, upon evaluation, then we'll say, now you can graduate and we give them a certificate or a diploma mm. uh, that they have finished um, our um, theology course. And uh, if they continue on to study and uh, finish the curriculum equivalent to what we offer in the seminary, uh, we, we also give them um, a diploma in uh, pastoral, uh, pastoral ministry, a diploma in theology. The only thing is our pastors do not have the luxury of your of your many available books here. That's why if you notice when you go, we invite you to come for our pastor's conference where we gather all our pastors every year. Uh, there is a graduation of those who have undertaken our mobile school and seminary. We always put in their hands the MacArthur Study Bible, a systematic theology book, uh, Bible dictionary, and maybe one other book, and that is that already constitutes their library. Um, uh, so, but but uh, it to me that is actually uh, an advantage that they will not be dependent on what men write about the Bible, but they feed themselves yeah. direct uh, into the Word of God. Emil question. Um, what makes these other pastors want to come to the Bible school, the mobile Bible school? I mean, because you're out there and these guys, they, they have churches already. They're trying to get people there and get as big an offering as they can. What's, what is it about the pastors you've trained that makes other pastors want to know? Why would they come to a mobile Bible school? Um, it is not because of our experience because they, they will be surprised when they see us like these young men will teach us but the good thing is we, we go there and we open the scripture to them so every teaching is we, we, do the, we do like this we have a verse from the Bible we explain it to them then 
the, the, the summary statement. It is not we begin with a statement and then take a, a support from the scripture. No, they will always see it that we open first the Bible and then explain that to them. And they will say, we're just going back to the Bible. That's what they will comment. And then the other will say, we, we now know what the truth is because before we received this because white man came to preach to us. <laughs> they easily believe if there's a white man tell them uh, things. But now they, they grasp the truth because they can see it from themselves that it is really written. It is written and they can read it, they can study it. So that's the yeah. um, main thing. So these pastors are hungry, Nilo. Yeah. They, want, they, they actually want to know how to teach this. Mm -hmm. or, or they hear you guys teach, right? And they mm -hmm. go, how did he do that? Yeah. Um, we are praising the Lord because uh, every time we teach, we always, the challenge that I gave to our teachers always anchor your teaching to the very word of God. Do not just answer questions without a biblical support. Mm. Always, always bring out the text. Always support your answer with the text. And people are amazed that uh, the Bible is so clear. Um, we... we the most basic thing, actually, that we are doing when we go and, and train for, uh, say, the first day is uh, to teach them the final authority of Scripture mm. and the all-sufficiency of Scripture. And teach them that if ever there will be some questions, then we bow down to the authority of the Bible. And it just prepare them. Yeah for what they are going to learn during the whole course of our study. Yeah. And, and pastors' lives and families are changed. Congregations are growing in the Lord. And as other pastors will listen to them preach, they will say, where did you learn that? And we also wanted to learn because out of a hundred pastors probably in the Philippines, especially in the rural area, it will be fortunate if there will be 10 that have formal Bible training. Yeah. Um, and so and that's here you offer, you come to them and, yeah. and teach them so they can continue to work because uh, they're probably trying to provide for their families as well. Mm. So somewhere along the line, we decided to start a seminary. What year was that? And tell us about the birth of that because yeah. now we had to build a building and we had to have, have something solid on the ground there. Uh, it was uh, 2008. I can still recall. It's very vivid in my mind. It was a month of April. A pastor in Dabao approached me and asked, are you not going to start a seminary so that we can go and study full time? Unlike what we are doing, we have to wait for another month to be able to have another class. Uh, why not start a seminary? I said, no, that may, uh, that's impossible with, with the current uh, uh, resource and ability we have. But then I went to Cagayan de Oro. Uh, when I went home, another pastor approached me and they do not even know each other. They did not talk. And the same question, are you not going to start a seminary? July, I went to Leyte, island of Leyte. Another pastor approached me, so three pastors. So I thought, Lord, are you, are you telling me something here? Oh, yeah. So I called our uh, field leaders, and there were 17 of them. I told them we need to go have a retreat for three days. So once we were gathered, I told them, you know, this is what is going on since April. Three pastors approached me. We need to wait upon the Lord. Can you join me in asking if this is really what the Lord wants us to do? After three days, we come together. 
share what is uh, uh, the what God has given in their hearts, impressed unto them, and it was unanimous. Start a seminary, but please, I cannot directly be involved this time. So I, we started that year, uh, September. Oh, no, 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 no. November, uh, November of 2008. Um, the confirmation to that is when our leaders say, yes, that is from the Lord. We were amazed. Funds started to come. So we were able to build dormitory. Uh, we were able to build classrooms. And it's just amazing. But uh, for the next three years, I was the only one teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Monday through Friday. And then I have to drive back home to Kagendi Oro, where my wife is, um, uh, Friday evening, and have to drive Sunday evening back to the seminary. And that is seven-hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the Lord has blessed the ministry. It's not only that we have the main campus in Surigao, but now we have extension campuses. Mm. We have one extension campus in Metro Manila, close to Metro Manila. We have uh, one in Davao, and uh, we have started the intertribal uh, Bible school in the mountains of South Cotabato. And there are Bible schools that are not necessarily Sula Gracia, but it started by the men that we have trained mm. that are using our curriculum and asking us to help them, some of our teachers, to teach in their, in their Bible schools. The latest is in Santo Nino, Isulan. We were, we were surprised. We were already here in the States early in September. They sent us the pictures about this new building, and uh, the name of the Bible school is Canaan Bible School, and then under under that they uh, they put affiliated to Sula Gracia uh-huh. <laughs> Seminary. So it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. So many things of you're not trying to brand everything that put your name on it no, but these no. these men are going out now and starting further bible schools mm-hmm. and they're training farther um you've taken me to several places um some we won't talk about because they won't be happy that you try to kill me but uh <laughs> but there's some places now that let's talk about the tribal ministry because that seems to be on your heart you guys got into some mountainous area that nobody's been before mm-hmm. Um, and you just showed me a picture where they're starting to build the frame of, of a Bible school and church and all of that there. It's something we, we want to help with if we can. Uh, in South Cotabato, most particularly, we have the Tibuli, we have the Kaolo, we have the um, Blaan tribe. There are so many of them in the mountains. So... We have the privilege of uh, training some of their people. Actually, there, are, there were nine who graduated in our seminary. But I always, I always am uh, convinced that the best people to evangelize a people are the people who belong to the tribe themselves. So I told our graduates, wherever you go, learn as much as you can. Um, get experience because we will pray that we can bring the training program right where you are. And indeed, uh, beginning last January of this year, we started our first class uh, in the mountains. Literally, in the mountains. <laughs> You can't eat. Yeah, it's, a, it's hard to get there. In the mountains. <laughs> uh, we have 12. Uh, I, I have the privilege of teaching the first subject. We have uh, 12 full-time students. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
we are trying to develop that property. So we are building, uh, the first building that we have is just, uh, um, uh, it's a kind of two-story building, but it serves as dormitory, kitchen, classroom, everything is yeah. just in just uh, that one structure. So we prayed for um, a bigger one because while we were teaching, our students are doing church planting among the tribe. So we have churches. We have 13 churches among the Tibuli tribe and the Bilaan tribe. Hmm. And uh, so um, I, I, can, I can just see in the future that there will not only be 12, there will be many of these men saved by the Lord in the mountains that will be studying there. So. When you went up there, it wasn't particularly safe, right? I mean, they... It's not safe. Yeah. Um, I, I, you couldn't take me there. No. Yeah. I will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first time I went to visit, I was told there are only two trucks allowed by these people to climb and visit their tribe. That's Daddy Detorius' truck. <laughs> and uh, someone, uh, a lowlander that planted a uh, banana plantation in the area. If they can see any other truck climbing up the mountain, they're going to shoot them. They're going to uh, ambush them. So we went there the first time and, uh, with a truck. And I saw even elderly people with uh, garand, uh, shotgun, ready, uh, they are, and they are suspicious. They look at you very suspiciously. Um, Pastor Ray, who is a Blaan uh, tribesman himself, graduated in our seminary, was burdened by the Lord to work in the farthest end of this uh, tribe, where the village chief has five wives. And he was warned already, never look at any of his wife direct to the eye, otherwise you will die. So we went and, uh, but the Lord, uh, again, he is sovereign. That village chief considered Pastor Ray as his son. And now the wives of the chief uh, are now in the church. And finally, the chief himself. Uh, I, I, I cannot categorically say that he is saved, mm -hmm. but he is coming to the church. Mm. And in fact, he go visit other villages until the other chiefs in those villages <laughs> come to us because in our village... Here's a man that is preaching about God. It's amazing. <laughs> uh. Now, to God has a humor uh, because uh, we know that it's not safe for Pastor Ray, but then a skirmish between the rebels and the tribal people happened. So the government, to secure the tribe from the communist rebels, sent a platoon or a company of military men, and they set up the camp around our church. So <laughs> Pastor Ray is protected by one company of <laughs> army. <laughs> yeah. So the Lord just continues to grow this ministry. I, I know you and I were down, um, where were we teaching where you made me get in the van, get down? What, what, what uh, that, providence was that? That's uh, in Lano del Norte, which is... Maybe like 85, 87%. So you guys were training teachers back then, back in mm -hmm. 2008 or 9 or... 2006. 2006, when yeah. I was there. Now, now, that was a strong Muslim area. Do you have churches there now? Yeah, we have. We have two churches. What happened in 2006, the government uh, approved that Sharia law uh, must be given... Uh, time to teach to the Muslim students in the public school. But a Roman Catholic superintendent of Lano del Norte said, 
if we are going to give that privilege to the Muslim children, we might as well as well uh, give time for the non-Muslim to to learn from the Bible. And this superintendent of school has a brother who is a Roman Catholic priest, and he approached him and he said, "No, we cannot do that. They, could, uh, they couldn't teach it. We cannot teach the Bible. Uh, we do not have the." Uh, I do not know what kind of excuse, but <laughs> we were classmates at Cornerstone. Yeah. And they emailed me, they called me, and they said, you need to come home. There's an opportunity. So that's, that's the reason why I didn't finish seminary. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back home. In two weeks, come up with a curriculum to teach the teachers and the children. We were able to train more than 2,000 teachers in the public school. And uh, we teach them what is in the Bible. So in the process, the Lord is saving the teachers. Yeah. And including the Muslim teachers. Yeah. They, uh, we experience actually that they beg for, for them to have Bibles also. So yeah. we provide Bibles to them. And uh, so these teachers, they learn what is in the Bible and we teach them how to teach the Bible to their children. So we, we have a curriculum for the children that is uh, one hour every day, Monday through Friday. Mm. We were able to teach from grade one to grade six. That year, a total of 6,000 students in the province. Uh, when, when the year was over, the superintendent of school who invited us retired and a Muslim superintendent uh, replaced her. So the teaching in the school stopped. But uh, some of the pastors that were involved in the training told me that our study materials are being used even until now in some other places. Uh, so who knows what God has done. So that gave some in, time for God. God saved some teachers, yeah. which now gave a need for pastors in mm -hmm. that area. Yeah, but you never thought, you mean, that's a strong Muslim stronghold there. Now you're there. Yeah, and, and as a, a result of that, we have two churches there. We yeah. have one in Tubud, and we have one in Kapatagan. Um, that's, that's really it. So now let, let's talk about the Bible school and seminary extension that's down south of you. I keep forgetting the town. Tagum. Tagum. Yeah, you and I went down there last mm -hmm. time I was there. And you have a nice piece of property there and, and, they, and, a, and a little bit of a building there. Mm -hmm. Why is that area? Because we're thinking about helping you get to that. Why is that area such an important area to put up an extension there? Uh, Tagum is a place that is so strategic because it serves as a hub. There are, uh, if you go, uh, if you're going to go to the east, you have Dabo Oriental. Mm -hmm. You go uh, southeast, you have, uh, you have Agusan province, provinces. And you go southwest, you have, you have Dabo del Sur. You go uh, uh, toward the west, you have Bukidnon, and they all converge in Tagum. The Lord has given us the opportunity to own a property there. And uh, uh, we tried to put up uh, a temporary building that is made of uh, coconut lumber. When, when, a, when a typhoon comes, uh, it just easily blew away <laughs> that, that place. But uh, that serves as our seminary extension. Um, we just bring uh, um, tents for the pastors, the students to stay for one week in the tents. We have a dirty kitchen where they can cook their food. And we are praying if the Lord can provide um, a more concrete building there. And there's a property that is two, 200 square meters. We, we can place um, a dormitory. That will be a great blessing. Mm. Um, 
let's, let's talk about your family here just for a few minutes while we have a little bit of time left. Um, certainly there's a meal uh, holding Grace and Sarah. Uh, and then Don and Jonas. So let's talk about their ministry. Jonas is a farmer. And one of the goals of the ministry is to help provide your pastors with rice, rice and tilapia and different mm-hmm. things. So, because I want to talk about how your, your whole family mm-hmm. is engaged in this ministry yeah. at, at certain levels. So let's talk about Don and Jonas a little bit here. And what, what are they trying to do? Uh, Jonas is a graduate in agriculture, major in agronomy. We have the same uh, degree. degree in the university. Uh, Jonas... Uh, is taking charge of our agricultural uh, production project. Um, it's part of the program we are starting to make the ministry more and more self-sufficient. So he is taking charge of that. Um, we have five hectares of rice farm. We are aiming for 12 hectares. And Jonas is uh, taking charge. Every time we harvest rice, there's some, the, the income of that becomes an extra income that we can send to our pastors. We call that a rice subsidy. The rice subsidy. Yeah, a rice subsidy. <laughs> uh, Do you actually give them rice too no, that you no. grow? You sell um, the rice. We sell and then the rice. It's and more valuable to do it that way. We yeah. send the money. Uh, my daughter, Dawn, she is taking charge of the kitchen. Many times she will be cooking for 300 people, yeah. 200 people. Um, she had to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, she loves to cook. Uh, she loves to bake. <laughs> I, I'm not sure our people understand the kitchen situation, though. <laughs> it's wood, chop wood, yeah. build fires under large pots. And you have to blow it with, yeah. <laughs> with the smoke coming right. into your eyes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there, it's, it's quite a production when you're there and you realize when we have a conference, and Pastor Nilo has me often come to their National Pastors Conference, and there's 300 men, women, children, and there's this group that Don leads that feeds all these people. And you can't imagine how much it takes to feed them and a lot of them don't have three meals a day a lot no. so they come and and we try to send funds ahead we try to help make sure that money's there and then you guys you guys feed them all week long and dawn is behind the preparation for all that it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing yeah last night when they interviewed uh amiel i almost interrupted the interview because there is one thing that uh, you need to know. In our uh, mobile training, there are churches that welcome us to use their facility because they know that we are going to give money so that they can prepare the food. And that's the only time they can have three meals mm. in a day. Mm. So. They're happy when we, we come because they too can, can eat. Yeah. yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, uh, Dawn, um, she has the heart of serving. She wanted always to be right there, uh, feed the people. Uh, next to Amiel is uh, Keith Andrew. Yeah, Keith is up in the top right-hand yeah, corner up the, there holding his the little baby boy. boy. Yeah. He is a medical doctor, and he is currently the municipal uh, doctor of the town where we are. 80,000 people, just one doctor. The national average in the Philippines, 33,000 to, to one doctor. And he is serving 80,000. Uh, I talked to him the other day. He posted a picture. He said, I do not know if I can still survive. <laughs> he was so tired. <laughs> uh, yeah. Our, our youngest son, it's uh, the bottom, right here, bottom right. Yeah. Kim Will, he will also graduate medicine next year, uh, June 12th. 
uh, no, June 14 will be their graduation. Um, the reason why these two uh, boys of mine wanted to become doctors, because they have seen that even amongst the missionary families that cannot afford to send uh, their sick loved one to the hospital, they just die because there's no medical attention. So our prayer in the long term is to have a mission clinic, a hospital, where our workers can bring uh, their families if they are, they are sick. So the whole family is involved. Yes. Uh, Nilo's health is not the greatest. He won't tell you that. <laughs> but um, we, we are happy. I'm happy to be sitting on the stage with you because I think you should have dined 10 times. But God still has something for you to do. But um, you were telling me that you have to have the money ahead. You can't get treated. If you do not have the money, they won't mm. treat you. Yeah. I remember you telling me a story that they put an IV in you, but you were walking down the street with your IV because you had to go get 10,000 pesos. Yeah, they, for... will, they will not admit you to the hospital. Yeah. Um, they put an IV to me, and in fact, they were saying that I have a heart attack, heart attack. But they will not just admit me because I don't have the 10,000 pesos <laughs> to, to put in front. So I was, I was in the car. My wife is holding the IV. And we were praying. Um, nine in the morning, my friend who learned about the situation went to and, and bring the... 10,000, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. So, so then the, you were able to get treated. Yeah. So yeah. They will not touch you. So this, this has been why Keith and Kim Well have chosen to do a medical profession. And, yeah. and it's hard there. I mean, you don't see them very, uh, especially when they're in school. Kim Well's been gone forever. I mean, I've been down there for 20 years. I've seen him twice. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's at school all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he can only come home like uh, four or five days in a year yeah. and then go back to mid-school again. Schooling's very different there. By sophomore year, by 10th grade, they have to choose their profession. Mm -hmm. And then you, you take off and you, you actually don't come home for very much mm -hmm. if you're going to university uh, for that. Um, Nilo, before we finish out here, we just have a few minutes here left. Um, can you share some, and Emil, you can jump in because you, Emil, you oversee so much ministry there. Your, your, your dad has really directed you and many others to help lead this ministry. It's a, it's a neat plurality of guys. What are some areas particularly that we can pray for um, as, as we think about Sola Gratia ministry and, and how Riverbend can particularly pray for you guys? Can you share some of those with us? The, the greatest concern I have will be um, wisdom and strength for the young leaders that are coming up. My, I am doing all these uh, things before. Now they are uh, Amiel, Pastor King, Larry, Highwell, Ruben. There are five of them yeah. doing the job. So please include them in, their, uh, in your prayers. Uh, they always, when they see me, they, say, they will always be telling me, how inadequate and how unprepared they are. But they will never be prepared unless they, they are right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, second priority will be our church planters. We have six uh, church planters right now ready to go. Uh, in fact, they are already there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're praying that... Uh, they can be provided financial support. These six church planners went out without the financial. No. They just yeah. going out on faith. They're already there. They're already there. <laughs> they uh, already. So we need to do something about that. Um, yeah. Emil, do you want to add any other prayer requests to that? Um, first, uh, for my wife, because if she is not doing what she's doing now, I cannot uh, do also what the Lord wants me to do. So. Mm. Pray for my wife and also for our daughter, uh, Grace. That's the first thing, the family. And also the, the families of the missionaries, especially, again, their wife. <laughs> yeah. 
it's so hard, it's so busy. This is a good excuse for me to leave home and then it's like a vacation for me. But for my wife, it's always uh, work, work, work. And the same with the missionaries back home. So mainly for that. And of course, uh, the Lord will um, uh, pour out His grace upon us that we, we will be faithful. We will be uh, continuing. Um, there's a tendency for us like leaders because uh, all, all in the ministry, it's, it's there and it's big. And then there's a tendency for us maybe just to maintain it, maintain the ministry, and uh, there will be no uh, zealousness in pursuing great things for the Lord. Um, so help us that we will not just maintain the ministry, but we, we move on, we move forward yeah. as the Lord will uh, lead us. And it, it is always a philosophy with my father that don't let the money dictate you. It must be from the Lord. And if you are so convinced through His Word and then by the advice of elders, and then you do it because the Lord will provide. That's the, what I, I have learned. And He will never, never forsake His people nor leave His people. If He has given us His Son, what else will He withhold to us? <laughs> so that's yeah. the yeah. main, main mm. thing. Thank you. Very, very good encouragement. Nilo, five men you started with. Five guys. That's it. There's five men who were willing to be taught. And here we are many years later with a ministry that spreads all over the Philippine Islands. It, it really is astounding what the Lord has done. And I know just in the short time it might be hard for those here to grasp that. But I want to tell you as your friend and co-laborer, um, I have worshiped the Lord many times as I have thought about and seen what God has done uh, through you and, and in you by his grace. And um, we're encouraged. We're, we're encouraged. And I, I pray that Riverbend would continue to learn by live by faith, that we don't do things because we have enough money, but because we know God wants us to go forward. And uh, so you encourage our church as we listen mm. to you. And I know, I know sometimes this is hard because I push you to tell us things. Uh, I know you're looking forward to preaching, and you're going to here in a few minutes <laughs> uh, because that's what God's called you to do. But it is good for us to hear these things. It's good for us to rehearse what God has done so we can boast in the Lord. Um, but we do thank you as a church uh, that you guys have been faithful. Your family has been faithful. The men you have trained have been faithful. And now they're fulfilling that great command, faithful men now teaching other faithful men. Mm. And that's continuing to grow, whether that's in a tribal island or in a Muslim providence or wherever it may be, that's what God does. And so you faithfully have done these things. And, and, and this final thought, me, what you said, it's easy to get to a certain place and say, look, we've arrived. And... And that is, there's nothing in Scripture that would ever back that up, right? We are to keep pressing on, to press on. Uh, and, and so I think this is a good reminder for us as we uh, continue to press on here in the United States, as we serve the Lord here in Orman and then our ministries around the world as well. So we don't want to just stop. So thank you, Ben, for that. Yeah, if, I have, uh, if you give me a little time. Let's die tired. Serving the Lord. Yeah. Father in heaven, we thank you for a few minutes with these dear brothers. Lord, we know they're a long ways from home. In fact, they're on the complete other opposite side of the world. Um, their wives and family and all their co-workers and laborers are uh, busy. It's, it's already Monday there. Um, uh, they've already had their Sunday church services. They, there's been hundreds of churches that have met just 16 hours ago that preached the gospel and shepherded and cared for people, Lord. And, and now those men, some of them are working in fields, some of them are traveling. Lord, they're all over this jungle world that they live in. And, and most of the world has no idea what's going on there. But yet you have let us have a glimpse into uh, the deep reaches of the Philippine ministry. Uh, and we thank you that you let us look into that this morning. 
But Father, we do not want to be just lookers. Just like the Bible says, we don't want to be hearers only. And so I pray that not only would we rejoice and boast in the Lord with them of what you've done in the Sala, Sala Gratia ministry, but that you would strengthen us to be men and women, boys and girls of faith, that trust God. Even when our plates are empty, we would trust you, Lord. We would open our mouth and you would feed us. And cause us to be that type of church, Lord, to trust you, to have faith that we have a great God who sent his son. Why would he leave us empty if he would give us his son? And so, Lord, cause us to strive more. As Paul told the Thessalonica church, excel still more, excel still more. And so we thank you that you've given us an example of that this morning. Uh, so we pray that you would uh, continue to bless this ministry. Lord, we pray for a little grace as uh, Emil returns home and they try to seek some medical care, that you would uh, provide wisdom and direction for them. We thank you for her and all the girls that you have given Emil. Lord, uh, just be with Sarah and them as Emil returns shortly. Thank you for Frele, who has loved Nilo for 40 years and has stood by him and worshiped with him and, and just held the ministry together in so many ways. Bless her. Thank you for the rest of the children and their spouses that serve, whether that's in agriculture, to help provide rice and income for the ministry or or to feed people, or to doctor, be a doctor and care for people, Lord. Uh, I thank you for that entire family, Lord, and, I, and they have been a great encouragement to me. Uh, may we be an encouragement to them. Now, Lord, as we take just a moment break, give us uh, a rest for a moment, and then prepare our hearts as we together, corporately, lift our voices to you to sing of your greatness to praise you for who you are because you are worthy of it, Lord. And then we will open our Bibles and we will hear what your word tells us. Your, your Bible will speak to us today through this servant that you've sent us, Lord. So we ask that you would bless our next hour now. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.